0: Welcome to the Decent People Podcast, a production of Decentral Media, where we're committed to telling the stories of the founders, builders, and visionaries who are creating a new decentralized economy and internet experience. You guys know it as Web3 or Blockchain, but we're going to bring you the smartest and most interesting people in the space for intimate conversations that reveal their background, how they got into crypto in the first place, and what they're doing today to make a decentralized future a reality. Thanks so much for joining us and check out our site at Decentral.io. Now to the show.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Decent People podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Laddin. here this week with Grammy Award-nominated record producer Aaron Albano, also known professionally as Ming. Aaron, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me
1: yeah thanks for being here so you know you've had uh quite quite the career uh, in music did you always know that that's what you wanted to pursue or was there some other aspiration back in the day of of you,
2: you know, know it's funny getting, because uh, i always did want to be a musician i i was um i was really into rock music as a, as a young person i had the long hair all you know like the whole thing i played guitar and i played a lot of rock and metal bands and I always believed in that sort of musician's dream. Um, I also was very good in sports so I played baseball and at some point in my baseball career I had to make a decision between sort of sports and music and I went the music direction and then at another point when I was in high school my parents were really pushing me to go off to college. I've been playing in sort of an all-star group. I was the youngest guy in a five-person 5, five person, um, act that was most of the guys were in their 20s and, and early 30s called um, insects and we were we were opening for bands like dokken and extreme and alice in chains and you know like doing very big shows um, but they kept pushing me to go to college because you know have something to fall back on so i ended up studying electrical engineering with an emphasis in audio still audio related but it was very technical um, which was great for me because when i got out of college i was able to parlay that into uh, a web career and that kind of is what funded my music career and then around 2000, my music career took off and I never looked back.
1: When when you say it took off, was there a, a seminal moment or, or or experience that kind of launched everything? Yeah,
2: we got a, I, was, I was in the group Ming and FS, we were an experimental um, hip hop and drum and bass group and we had um, signed a deal with Ohm Records in San Francisco and we were going on our first full length tour I think in the fall of 2000, maybe it was like 30 something dates. And that was just when the internet bubble burst. And so I had gotten laid off maybe around June of 2000 with a good severance. (laughs) And then I was going on tour in September. So I kind of was like, all right, well I have this money in the bank, you know, it's now it's time to make the switch and, and really focus on not looking back and not falling back. Someone had told me early in my career, if you have something to fall back on, you will. Um, And I took that very seriously, even though I was educated and I had a good skill set, I could program, I was a project manager, I could, you know, I could make a living uh, in New York City. I was taking this music thing as if like it was do or die, basically. So I figured out how to budget and I figured out, you know, what we would need to do to survive the next year. And we went on this tour where we made barely any money. Um, It was like a trial by fire and it was amazing. You know, I learned so much about touring and so much about how you make money on the road and Merchandise and just all of that stuff, and I think that was the that was sort of the key moment. it was sort of serendipitous you know the bubble bubble burst in the internet business, so I was at a startup and that startup didn't get its fourth round of financing, so it was sort of that like okay, here you go out on the road you know <laughs> but it was it was it was it was good it was magical
1: right right and so so in that sense too timing was sort of everything in a in a way
2: I think timing is always everything um People call it good luck, right? But I think good luck happens to people who are working really hard. I mean, I was working 50 hours a week at my internet job. I would come home and sleep for two or three hours. I'd get up. I'd work on music with my music partner for four or five hours. And then I would go out and market and promote us at, at clubs from 11 to 1 a.m. 1 I did this relentlessly for four years. Wow. And, I, and I mean, in Manhattan at that time, it was like pinnacle club scene. So I could go, you know, work on music go out be out meet all the industry people basically go to sleep sleep a couple hours get up you know and just rinse and repeat and then when we started touring this is before we went on like full length tours we would start maybe fly out on a wednesday i'd fly back in on the red eye go sleep under my desk at my at my internet job and get up in the morning when my boss came in and like you know did my thing and i did that i would do that friday saturday sunday fly back you know fly out friday fly back on the red eye sunday go to work in the morning I mean, I was burning the candle on both ends and it was relentless. So, um, but it was rewarding. It was what I wanted to do. It was exciting to be part of both of those things. It was exciting to be at a startup or startups where there's a lot of interesting technical things happening. It was exciting to be, you know, part of a music scene that was burgeoning in America because I was part of the electronic music scene and that was not a thing at the time. It wasn't like EDM that we, people talk about now. It was this weird thing, sure. weird DJ music that people didn't really understand. The mainstream didn't understand. So I was kind of part of these two, I don't know, exciting waves happening. And it was, a, you know, it was, I mean, the internet business in the early 90s, late 90s was just wild. You know, it was just like crazy parties and, you know, interesting people. And it, there was no like rules. It wasn't corporate
1: right right and and do you think that experience in sort of a startup in that era positions you well for you know what was to come years later what we're experiencing now the this this new age of crypto and stuff like that do, do you feel that the intersection between music back then and say the dot-com era has helped give you a, a solid base from which to understand what we're currently experiencing in the cryptocurrency arena and, and stuff like that?
2: I, I think so. I mean, I feel like it's sort of as they call it now we're Web3.0, but it's it was I was there for the Web 1.0 days. And so I remember the energy and the excitement around this thing that people really never understood. You know, businesses wanted to get in. I taught myself how to code HTML and do websites by telling a business while I was in college that I knew how to do websites. I gave them a budget. I told them it would take me six months to make the website. They didn't know. I didn't know. I learned how to make the website. I did it, you know, in three or four months after like it didn't really take me that long, but I was going to school and figuring it out. They were happy. I was happy, and I took that skill set and then was able to parlay that into a job when I graduated. Um, it's the same feeling. It's this feeling of, we know that there's something out there. We know that what's currently out there has kind of gotten clogged, sort of the arteries of the system are a little bit clogged. It's too much too much advertising, too much um, tracking, too much information being sold that people don't want to have sold. And, you know, it's sort of like the darker side of the web has kind of been happening in Web 2.0 for a little bit. Um, you know, and social media wasn't around when I started. So social media has kind of darkened the, the playing field a little bit. And I think people are really looking for that next wave, that decentralized, version of themselves where they can be a little bit more anonymous, but also tap into things that are less, um, less tainted by, you know, bots and the system and corporations pushing algorithms at them. I think that that's an exciting time for, for a lot of people.
1: So in many ways, it's more of a, an opportunity in some, to, in in some ways to get back to the art and what it means to be a musician and what it means to be an artist, what it means to communicate directly from you know, one's mind, one's soul into their channeled arena and then into hopefully the hands and minds and eyes and ears of people.
2: hundred percent. I mean, life. I think the hardest part about be- having a music career that people don't understand is that you as a creator spend an inordinate amount of time making something that you believe in. It could take you 10 minutes, it could take you 20 years. You, cre- you craft this thing, whether it be music or art, or poetry or all of those things together. You hope that an audience will love what you've done, but you really have made it for yourself. It's like, you know, it's your your inner child, right? Coming out. But then then the business kicks in and without the business behind you, it almost doesn't matter how great your music is. Your one in a million shot is really one in a billion. And with all the algorithms and everything fighting against eyeballs, I mean, it's easier to get eyeballs on social media if you're an attractive person rinsing and repeating the same whatever nonsense it is that you're saying. It could be totally bass, low, lowest common denominator. It Great music doesn't necessarily bubble up in that system because they want 15-second sound bites of, you know, a wink, a smile, a nod, and, and rinse and repeat. And that's not great music. Great music takes time to sink in. It takes time for people to understand. It takes time for people to digest and make it their own. Um, and I think maybe Web3 and DAOs and, and NFTs really can bring it back to creators where people are able to invest in things that they believe in and want to, see, want to foster their creation and aren't necessarily worried about the quick burn. You know, I'm interested in a DAO right now, maybe for a music label DAO, where you would, you would get a, a group of people who want to invest in a group of artists based on the art that they love. Could be musicians, could be artists, could be poets, again, the same thing. People have a say in how they market and promote these, these acts. Um, there'll be thought leaders in that DAO. Obviously, people who are bringing the creatives in, you can't just have this like amorphous DAO for music because you need somebody to at least say, what do you think of these acts? What do you think of this, this musician? And then everybody ta- does their part in marketing and promoting and then, and then ultimately possibly you know, having a reward in the, in, the, uh, in the monetary side of it. But and, people and always it, forget that the, it, the, it, the it, biggest it, reward right. is is the success of the music, getting to hear the music, you know, right? No, no, totally,
1: that. totally. And, and and I think to your point, that's essentially the the purpose of art is for it to be shared. And so, as you mentioned, these quick burns in the current, say, Web 2.0 climate of, of social media and things getting attention for surface level, you know, shiny objects, it's like, where's the... <laughs> that, that's so far from, removed in some respects from what it means to create and the purpose behind it and, and the intent of sharing that those messages and experiences. So uh, do, how do you think Web3 will help kind of cut through that clutter so that we can get back to the art is what, in what you're saying?
2: Well, one of the one of the terrible but awesome things about the music business <laughs> is that the music business is always way behind the technology. Major labels and the labels that have the most money are always the most hesitant to make the change. They did that with streaming. I mean, when downloads started with Napster, um, they wanted hard product because you can make the most money out of that. Right, If you sell an item that costs you $2 to manufacture and you sell it for $15.99, you're making a a massive profit, right? Um, And streaming for a while or downloading really killed them, killed the majors. Really, they lost a lot of money until they were able to do deals with the streaming networks to make the money back again. What I think Web3 can do is it can take out a lot of the power that a major label would have because you're crowdsourcing content based on what people really enjoy not what a major label is telling you to do and then when that starts to happen when you have a bunch of successes and in a sort of decentralized marketed environment for art eventually that will pull the larger labels that have money into that system and they will have to reinvent how they market and promote records It can't right now. Major labels are looking at who has the highest amount of TikTok followers. If you have, if you're a TikTok sensation, they're willing to give you a major label deal. But TikTok is not really a barometer of do people like your music. They just may think you're quirky, right? Or you may have one song. Right. It's not a barometer of like, do I have a real fan base? No. It means that a lot of people at this moment like to watch you on TikTok because you've really tickled the algorithm. Listen, and the, all of these successes for me are fine, but most musicians that I talk to, and myself personally, is I'm not really interested in the quick burn, um, statistical spike that gets the deal. You know, I always used to use the analogy you could put out Picasso, could be alive now, and put out the most amazing NFT that you've ever seen in your life, multi dimensional, you know, multi contract mind-blowing piece of art and if kim kardashian decides to pull a boob out that day and show it on the internet there's you will never hear about picasso's creation because that's how base social media is people are just like wait right it's just it's like they go right to the the easiest um they they want to consume quickly and that's no dig on hu- the humanity it's just sort of like what gets your attention And so Mm -hmm. intellectualism doesn't necessarily get the same sort of weight as, I don't know, what's the right word for it, Um, fanfare, or just, I don't know, just what's the word you would use for social media? I don't know, but just.
1: I think attention at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, R-I. I mean, it's just,
2: it's just, it's just, I, you're, I you're, you're so. fighting for attention on something that's going to give you bright, shiny colors. And the other thing requires you to think. Even, once, even once myself at the end of the once, day. Once more
1: substantive, yeah.
2: Yeah. One's more substantive. And we all do love substance. But I think sometimes at the end of our very hard working days, we just want to flip through TikTok and laugh at some stuff. I mean, I love TikTok. I've learned a ton of interesting things and laughed at a ton of stuff. But I'm not necessarily finding music there
1: understanding what these platforms can provide and and sure i'm sure there are some artists that exist on there that are fantastic and and you know have both as you're saying the the quality and the substance of their art reflected in their massive amount of use but then there's also content that aims to cater to the Demographic, you could say, of folks who have just come off of work uh, from an eight, nine hour day, and they just need something to disengage with. And that happens to be it, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, and the algorithm is such that those because of the way people watch those videos, it's really more tuned to that. Now, again, I would say with my own TikTok watching there is i watch a lot of like political stuff and how to fix things and cool like i don't know scientific stuff i've kind of like trained my algorithm to be into that that mode but it's at the pace that i like um it's less memes it's less you know thirsty posts it's less you know it's not that stuff like when i first was on tiktok i was like is this just a thirst fest it's just all they're doing is sending me thirsty women the whole time. And I was like, I'm not going to like any of this and see what happens. I'm going to start following other things. And I had to search for it because I didn't really know how to use TikTok. And then once I trained the algorithm, and now it's really great for me. And now I understand why it's cool. Just like you learn how Twitter is cool, just like how Instagram used to be super cool. Um, and Facebook was cool at one point until they destroyed it with algorithms.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you bring up an interesting thing, too, which which I think is something to, to think about with Web3 as well, is as much as Web3 and, and, and decentralized ways of being, whether it's cryptocurrencies or, uh, in this case, the sharing of, of art, there's something from the, from the user's perspective that can be like thinking about, oh, hey, how can I train the algorithms to cater to my preferences is something that before wasn't even something that people were aware of, you know? right so I mean, it's
2: it's a weird time
1: yeah right right so so in many ways as a creator it's web3 is, is positioning the creation of art as a as a more accessible meet uh is positioning the creation of of some art to be more widely accepted and, and seen and at the same time empowering the audiences to find what to find that art if that's what they're seeking is would that be yeah I, I mean think.
2: I, I think we've gone through if we go talk about nfts specifically um because I feel like there was this sort of handoff from crypto investing when you know there was this bubble of crypto investing and then there was all this money made in crypto and then nfts just exploded in this very short amount of time and then sort of the the monetization of nfts kind of kicked in really quickly and you had you know very i don't want to call them corporate but very specifically designed nfts you know done by crews of people with a marketing team to to you know to bring up the investment value and to get people super interested in the value of that nft and then there was people who were just making art and people were supporting their art and the people supporting their art is actually how i got interested in nfts from a contract standpoint where i heard a couple of podcasts where artists were talking about how they had just made a bunch of weird nfts and all of a sudden people started buying them and they were like i didn't know what i was doing and i don't really know if i know what i'm doing but i'm just making my art and now i'm putting it on the internet you know via contract and people are supporting me and i've made enough money now that i can continue to do this And so, you know, now I'm really learning about what it means to make digital art, even if they were traditional artists. Um, And then what I got interested in is the multi-contract concept of an NFT. So that not only could you support um, an artist, whether it be through music or music and visuals, but that contract can evolve. So maybe you start out being like, okay, hey, support my act. I've got 12 songs that I want, you know, that I want you to invest in. If we get enough investors, you'll be the round one. And we'll then use that money to market and promote the music. And then since you got in earlier, now that I understand more about what my fans want, now the early investors can have the second contract on top of my NFT, which is like maybe 50% off of my live shows or whatever it may be. Or you own, you own, you own, X amount on the publishing of these songs because you were early investors. You don't have to make all those decisions right off the bat. There can be contract on top of contract on top of contract. And I think that that's really interesting because it allows you to not make, put all of your eggs in one basket and figure it all out at the get go. Because maybe what you did in the beginning is not where you want to be a year later artistically. But you still want to reward your fans, the people who 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 um, supported you in the beginning. And you you don't want to be like, well, I'm not really interested in doing that type of music anymore. So you guys are kind of screwed. Right. You know, thank you for the investment. But that's the end of it. You could just port that (laughs) contract onto your new music and be like, you know what, I'm going to add these songs in now. This is where I'm headed. You know, you guys have a piece of this, too. Or you have access to, you know, like meeting me at, at whatever, you know, your, whenever you're in your city, you know, like we used to do with street teams. So I really learned street team marketing in the sense that we had a street team guy with Ming and FS that would travel with us. And we, way before social media, we would reach out to fans and find the super fans at every show. We would see the same faces. We'd come to Seattle, we'd see familiar faces. We'd go to LA, we'd see familiar faces. And I would tell Jeffrey at the time was his name, go get those people, After the show and make sure you bring them backstage because I see them at every show. Let's meet them. Let's get their email addresses. Let's talk to them. So that next time we come, we have a relationship with them and put them on the guest list because they've been here at two or three shows, right? So we would do that. And then the next time we would come to Seattle, so to speak, we would hit these people up ahead of time, say, Hey, were you planning on coming to the show? Yeah, man, I can't believe you guys actually reached out. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll put you on the guest list and you guys have like five VIP spots. They can like get half off bring some friends. You guys are on the guest list. If you, you know, like, and then we would do things like, Hey, we're going to be in town early. Do you want to have a barbecue? Do you know of anyone having a party before like whatever, could we come and like have a barbecue at your place? And they'd be like, what? I'm like, yeah. Do you think maybe people would be into it? If like, we don't want to hang out in the hotel. We want to come hang out with you. And then they would have a bar- barbecue with like 30, 40 friends over. We would show up there, but like, these guys actually showed up. We would have a great time. We already knew them from the last show right? And so we started to create this family that we had on the road. So it was much more than just empty hotels. And, you know, and just like, it wasn't about being a star. It was about playing music. So I see the same thing with NFTs and contracts, where you can have this ongoing relationship with people who support you at whatever stage they want to come in and what from whatever level they can give you. Um, And you can have this like back and forth relationship be it via digital you know a digital relationship now that doesn't have to necessarily be you can only get value by coming to my show or you can only get value by supporting my whatever maybe the value is you just want to like have a mentoring session with an artist that you love and like so you supported them and part of being a first rounder is that you you know you get to get a little bit of mentorship to talk about your own music career and how you could be successful and successful people like to talk about how they were successful right? I love sharing my success stories with people and helping them with their music and helping them figuring out how to do their career their way. Um, and, you know, and I feel like, again, that could be part of the contract. It's just infinite, right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not like one, it's not one mode anymore. You know, it's right. not, Um, it's not like I'm the forward-facing musician. You have to give me things all the time in order for me to exist. We can have, a back and forth relationship based on a set of terms that we just we just you know we describe and we figure out together.
1: Right, right. So in many ways, you're saying it's more um, mutually beneficial, but but it's more alive. It's more of a of an ever changing, ever evolving uh, dynamic that caters to both the art and the the uh, trajectory of an artist and the the needs of say a supporter or a fan or whomever else is in the artist's orbit and what's really interesting is what you're talking about in terms of the street teams and and the sort of transition from what used to be perhaps a backyard barbecue when you're on the road to that same type of feeling but now you can do that with an artist who might be across the globe but is someone who you would love to have that type of proximity to or or support for and I think that's really neat and, and how uh, DAOs and, and, and NFTs can kind of help make that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we have all these ways of reaching out to fans now, like Discord and, and um, uh, Twitch and, you know, right. So say, say I had a community for my music where I'm doing reg- regular Twitch broadcasts, whatever that may be, and people anyone can be part of that. They can, you know, they can be a supporter on Twitch or whatever. But then I have my own private hour. With people who are some more like in, in in the music dao, right? What if I have a private hour for maybe there's a group of music makers in there who want to spend an hour a week or have access to an hour a week talking about their productions or having like a master class with somebody where I'm giving back time for them supporting the dao in general, and then that makes them more apt, you know, to to work on their creations because then they can become part of that from a creative standpoint in that dao. Maybe that's your goal. I think people forget why we join groups why do you go to college you go to college or university because you want you like the things that that college has for you entertain you know it's not only intellectual it's social maybe you like the teams maybe they have a great music program maybe have a great baseball program we join groups to fit in and feel good about ourselves and to meet new people and to challenge ourselves and what ends up happening with social media is that instead of being challenged, we find comfortable spaces and then they become circular and then the algorithms just beat it to death. But if you set up a, a system in which you can have, you can create organizations that are sort of monitored by themselves, Dallas, so to you know. With with thought leaders, you can really create the same sort of atmospheres that you do in a college setting or in a club setting or in a team, you know. I mean, look, if if you can having a universal DAO for music doesn't make sense. It's just too many ways of right, too many different types of music. But if you're into say house music and you want to be support my house music DAO, and we our goal is to find 10 new producers, you know, this year and to bring in X amount of money for marketing and have you help market, and then to have them come and play in your city. Maybe there's people who are promoters who wanna be part of this DAO, right? We all can work together to keep this scene moving. That's not necessarily part of a machine. That's a fun club to be part of. And that's that's the club that I was part of when I was DJing when it wasn't cool. Mm. you know you would find other djs in other cities who would be like oh man i'm really into drum and bass i've got a small party it's got 200 people would you come play you know in wherever whatever small town and you know even being from new york you'd be like yeah let's, i'm gonna play that town because you know what when i get there that's 200 people who are gonna lose their minds because they're <laughs> into it like i'm into it it's so much better than playing for 5,000 people who are like separated by a big guard you know like a big fence that you're so far away from that's not the same energy you know one pays you a lot more but one doesn't it doesn't feel the same Mm -hmm. so that's what's always excited me is sort of and maybe how I've been successful as a musician is that there's always these niche markets that have really tickled me intellectually and that have challenged me to grow because they're not as rote so to speak they're not paths that you can easily go down you have to be part of it you know like you you don't just wake up one day and become a goth right you don't like you don't just go to like urban outfitters and get your black boots and your black pants and your black shirts and your chains and your makeup and your hips you know that doesn't just happen that's not really what being a goth is you like the music you attra- you're attracted to the people you're attracted to the the mindset you 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 become part of that group it's not a mainstream group right and so it's a subculture that you have to enjoy to be part of and those that aren't part of the subculture really are perpetrators of like they. it's fraud and you don't really it doesn't you don't really stick around
1: sure sure well and and, and, and to your point it's like in the same way that you're seeking out those avenues that stimulate you intellectually if you're pursuing uh you know the golf path that's a choice though you know and it's an interest yeah. and it's something that you're consciously deciding to do so in the same way uh you know if you're choosing to support a dow you're that you're investing your time energy mental capacity in support of a particular in this case if you're saying edm it's like or, or house music there's a there's a specific directive to all of that so it's yeah i think it's really fascinating that that essentially kind of what you said at the onset of the conversation we're coming back to the sort of homegrown with web3 potentially you could come, we can come back to that homegrown basically it's kind of in uh, artistical intimacy on a larger scale
2: let me digress a teeny bit because i've been thinking about that concept um, you know cuz recently didn't didn't someone create a dao to try to buy a copy of the constitution yes. or something Right. I love that concept because they had one focus in mind. A lot of people put in what they could put in. They didn't, you know, ultimately get there, but I think they raised a tremendous amount of money. So, what about taking that same concept for your town? Never mind Democrat, Republican, Green, whatever party you think you affiliate with. If you need a new bridge in your town, what if you had a Dow for that bridge? Right. What if everybody in town, regardless of what you believed in, knew that you needed to like pave this certain area of your town? There's there's all kinds of interesting applications for DAOs if you have a focused mindset, right? It's like crowdsourcing without having to beg for the money in, in a lot of ways, right? What if the DAO was a fund? See, maybe, you're, maybe you got, your town was a place where there was a lot of, um, you wanted to have preserve land because you had an amazing influx of birds that came in through migration and for some reason the the state or whatever wasn't able to give you grant money for that land and you wanted to stop developers from you know building on these certain areas because you knew there was these cliffs cliff swallows or something right well your town could have a dow that put money together that bought that land for the dow's trust and then the dow could own that land There's a lot of amazing applications on a, like, you know, with a very, like, with a tight directive that you could do, you know, through a DAO. Trusts, right? Sort of like a public trust. But the cool thing about that public trust is that maybe your mission, which could be to preserve this land that birds come to every year, is not just an issue for your town it becomes a global issue because people all over the world want you to preserve that 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 migration path and so now you have a dow that the whole world can right can be part of because they know that if the birds start up in Canada they fly down the east coast and eventually they end up in Mexico well maybe you're in Mexico and you just want to make sure that that path is is safe for them And, and so that idea of DAOs and emerging like contracts upon contracts for social good is really interesting to me as well
1: so using DAOs for social good is there an intersection between social good and art and what people are supporting could also be something artistic
2: i think a hundred percent i mean I don't know that you can detach true art, art artistic creation, from social platforms. Um, I've always been very political. I'm very liberal. I have, you know, I'm, I'm super intellectual. I'm into science, like I'm into technology. If you support my music, you're supporting the liberal agenda, which is basically to become more intellectual, right? I'm open to all walks of life. I'm open to whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, right? I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist, um, but I don't, you know, like there's, there's all these things that you subscribe to when you support the artist, right? Doesn't mean you have to be all of those things. But I think that I don't know many artists or musicians that are not liberal minded and don't want good things for large groups of people. So I do think that there's always an aspect of creation that is trying to bring people into a better place. I always hope that my music will help somebody in a bad place get to a good place or at least hold on to something. I know as a kid, as a teen, I found, you know, solace in certain music that really helped me get through parts of my life that were, you know, difficult as a teen. We all have that same teen angst and trying to figure out who we are. And we identify with musicians and music that brings us in a certain direction. Um, and yes, I think that, you know, all of those aspects are in twi- intertwined. You know, if you want to support, let me give a perfect example is, if you support house music, then you support gay culture. They're not separate. They're, they're one in the same because because house music is an important part of gay culture. And um, you do not have to be gay or active in any other way, but you know, need to know that it is it is absolutely insane to be anti-LGBTQ and being into house music. Like that's just, that's just, it's sort of like saying, you know, I like hamburgers, but I hate buns. You know, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like if you eat a hamburger with a bun, but say like, I hate the bun, then don't eat the bun. But you're not eating a hamburger, then you're eating hamburger meat. When you support art, you're supporting a movement and you're, you're, you know, you're supporting things that go along with that that art.
1: As you're saying, when you're supporting an artist, you're supporting uh, sort of their beliefs and and their, Outlooks on life, stuff like that. Where where do you see the future of Web3 of NFTs of these uh, sort of DAO contracts leading us in the coming months, years, et cetera?
2: I mean, I think in right now, what I'm I'll give you the now couple weeks and you know, in the future. I think right now, because of the crypto crash and sort of the um, the massive rush into graphic NFTs that people are a little bit shell shocked with you know sort of the the extreme success and now the extreme failure of, of a lot of projects i mean i've been part of a lot of white lists where people were hoping to do very w- well and you know they can't even they can't even make their mint price so um, i think right now we're a little bit on pause as to the the one dimensional as i call them um, graphic nft you know sort of to get money or to to make money process and i think over the next coming months we're going to see more multi-contract more um roadmap oriented nfts where it's more than just you know a, a good looking ape that you're gonna own you know and have as a trading card which i which i don't dislike don't get me wrong um, and i think in the future we're going to see a lot more utility And utility is really what's going to become the backbone of the NFT and and of Web3 and of DAOs. like if there's not utility to it, things can only remain cool for so long. Just as some art isn't cool, you know, it may be cool for a little bit and then something else becomes cool and then it loses its value. But utility is important. And I think think contracts with utility and art with utility and music with utility in some way, whatever that may be, six months from now, a year from now is really where we're headed.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Aaron, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you uh, so much. It's another episode of the Decent People podcast by Essential Media. I'm your host, Steve Ludden. This has been a fantastic chat with Aaron Albano, also known as Ming. Aaron,
0: thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Hope to see you guys soon.
0: That's it for this episode of Decent People. Thanks so much for listening. Check the show notes for more information on our guests today and make sure to look us up on the web at desential.io. That's d e c e n t i a l.io and on Twitter at @desential. Have a great day.